God, help me to be faithful in the preaching of your word and help us to be faithful hearers, not hearers only, but also doers of the word. Let us be obedient and find life. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are wrapping up um, just a three-week set here in January where we wanted to just kind of realign ourselves and kind of gather the troops, knowing that we have a lot of new people here and, and just kind of talk about how we function as a church family and where we see that in Scripture. And really what we're trying to do is after a year of being in the book of Acts, um, looking at it and saying, okay, so what does this look like then? How do we function in this way? And what are some of the tangible things that, that we're trying to do and ways we're trying to organize? And so far, we've, we've focused on um, identity. And in that identity, uh, we, we said, like, who we are matters, right? Like, that, we, that, that who we are in Christ um, matters, who he says we are. Right, so we are God's family on mission. That's who we are because that's who God says that we are. And then we, so we say that that's the most important thing that we keep reminding ourselves and aligning ourselves to that we are God's family on mission. We're not a nonprofit organization. We're not a, a social club. We're not, um, you know, just a, a, a morality organization or a service organization. Primarily, we are God's family on mission. And then we talked about culture, and we said that um, like creating a good environment for a garden is critical to have good soil and to have it set up well on the right side of, of the house so it can get sun and rain, so it is important to create good soil here with a, ref- with a culture that reflects the kingdom, that we can't hope to produce kingdom fruit without a kingdom culture. And so we talked about what Jesus said last week, what Jesus said about the kingdom and, and how that informs how we want to function here as a church family. And in fact, starting next week, just as the plug for next week, we're going to start the Sermon on the Mount, and that will take us through the rest of the school year that we are so excited for. And that is primarily a sermon about the kingdom and about a lot of that culture that was being developed. And so for this week, I just want to talk about the thing that most people think about when they think about the church, which is the, the methods and the measurements. So often when we think about church, we think about the things that we do, the programs that we have, and that kind of thing, and then, and then the measurements. We think of attendance, and we think of budgets, and we think of you know, buildings, and all these different things. Like These are the things that often pop into minds first. And I just wanted to, before we do it, and I, before we talk about that, I just want to remind us, again, that those come after the identity of who we are and the culture that we are cultivating. But then we do actually function as a church family, and we do, um, we do acts of ministry, and we do evaluate those, those ministries. But like other areas, this is not our own personal philosophy. We look to Scripture to tell us what ministry is, who does it, and, and how we know if it's effective. And one of the best representations of that in Scripture is found in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles open, or hopefully you can look on the screen. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So this is Paul's exhortation to the church in Ephesus. And he's telling them, like, this is how you are to function. And he talks about what ministry is. And he talks about who does it and, and how you know um, you're doing it right. Like, how do you know that it's actually happening? And he first calls um, ministry, like in, in verse 12, he says that it is to equip the saints for the, the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So he calls ministry building up the body of Christ. And what that basically means is that we are the body of Christ. Those who are in Christ are that we make up the body of Christ. As Jesus was present in, um, in bodily form as he walked the earth and did ministry, when he leaves, when he departs, we are given the Holy Spirit. And so we become the body of Christ, the incarnation of Christ on earth, fulfilling that ministry. And he says, so the, the work of the ministry is actually building up the body of Christ by like adding people to the body of Christ, by being the body of Christ, by being who we are called to be. In short, to be, to claim the identity that Christ has given us. And he says like how you do that in verse 13, he talks about the unity of faith that we are to grow in as we build up the body of Christ. That means to grow in our unity in the faith, to grow in our knowledge of the son of God to grow in our maturity in Christ. In fact, measured against Christ as the stature of, of the fullness of maturity. In short, then to be identified then by the fruit of the Spirit. So the calling of this ministry is actually quite simple. Paul doesn't give, and in other books, in other letters, he does a similar thing. He doesn't give a big list of all the things that as a church you're supposed to do, and all the things you need to be active in, and all the classes you need to have, and all the committees you need to form, and all that. He doesn't give those specifics. It's actually very similar to when they ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And there are lots of important commandments in Scripture. And Jesus says that it's all summed up and love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And similarly, when Paul's talking about ministry, he says, look, the whole focus of this, the reason why God gives you prophets and teachers and evangelists and shepherds, the reason he gives you those people and gives you those gifts is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And that work is being, being the body of Christ, growing in maturity as the body of Christ, declaring the goodness of Christ. To proclaim the good news of the kingdom and be ambassadors of the kingdom for the kingdom on earth. And so by being 
kingdom people, living as citizens of the kingdom, helping one another grow in that pursuit. We grow together in unity and faith, abiding in Christ, maturing in Christ, and bearing fruit, and inviting others to join in the life of Christ. That is the work of the ministry. Of course, it can entail all kinds of other things about it. We, we care for the poor because Jesus cared for the poor. In the, ki- in the kingdom, the, bo- the poor are blessed. We care for orphans and widows because we are told, like we are called, because that's what kingdom people do, because kingdom people value all people. Everyone's invited, so it doesn't matter what your situation is. And so we function as kingdom people, and in so doing, we minister to those around us. There's a key phrase there where he says that you were given apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So what that means is we, we recognize that there are people with specific um, gifts meant to lead the body and the, uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now often in the church, all the focus goes on those people. The people with those gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers that that Paul mentions. And in modern church, we think of those people as the people who do the work of the ministry. But that's not what Paul says. So those people are the people who equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. It'd be like giving, I mean, I coach Many of you know I coach youth basketball. Yesterday we had our first uh, seventh grade basketball tournament, which is why I started singing this morning. And I was like, oh, my voice can't handle that this morning. There's a lot of encouragement going on, loud, loud encouragement to lay hold to the claim of their identity as being decent basketball players. And, you know, that works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. But nobody credits me if we win. I mean, they blame me if we lose, but nobody Nobody credits me. Like, you tell the players good job. Because guess what? The players are the ones that played. The coaches just do the best they can to try to set them up for success and equip them. But it's ridiculous when you give too much credit to the coach because the players actually go out there and they're the ones who play. And we have a similar situation that our culture, our church culture here, especially in America, we worship those who do the equipping. But the thing that's powerful. The reason why I get choked up sitting around at the communion table is because I see the work of the ministry that's being done in you. That's when we know like something is happening is when we see people inviting and serving people and loving them and sharing the gospel and, and all these different things that are happening. Like That's the work of the ministry. Our job is to equip you to do that. And when we lose sight of that, we end up creating what is often called like a, a spiritual Walmart, where the church is reduced to just being the purveyor of spiritual goods and services for you to just kind of pick and choose off a of menu or, or like a community college catalog and say, oh, basket weaving, that looks interesting. I think I'll do that. Like, oh, Ephesians, like I think I'd like to do a study on that. And hopefully you think, well, I want to go to a church that offers enough of those things that I could pick from that maybe I could possibly grow closer to God. And meanwhile, in a church culture like that, the staff and a few members run themselves ragged to pull off all of those offerings, hoping that people will come to justify the putting on of all of those programs. 
And churches end up in a constant cycle. Tell me if this feels familiar at all, either here or other places or whatever, but you end up in a constant cycle of begging people to volunteer to run the programs and begging people to attend the things that people created. And you just have this cycle. Now, it feels a little weird, especially for me, as I was sitting there listening to the announcements today. So we do very few things, and one of the big th- stretches that we do is, is this in the fall or in the spring when uh, we have D-Now and the men's conference and the women's conference. And those are kind of like our, our big things. So, and then Christoph was asking for volunteers. So we're not saying that we never have that happen at all, but what we want to be co- careful of is that we don't get into a cycle which ends up creating kind of a codependent cycle where we create things for you to attend and you need the things. You become dependent on the things to attend and we become dependent on you to attend the things and now we have this codependency rather than the beauty of the body of Christ growing into maturity. See, and that's not what the Bible describes as ministry. It describes growing together in maturity. Because according to the Bible, you are not attenders. You are saints. And if you are saints, then the Bible says the work is for you. And it's not a work of burden. It's a work of joy. It's an incredible work that you get to participate in. And ministry leaders' job is to equip you to do that work. And to the extent that we don't equip you to do that work, shame on us but to equip you to participate. And the work is not perpetuating things and programs that become dependence, but the ministry of the kingdom. I just, let me give you an illustration of this. Imagine, um, imagine a cooking class. I could say that I was going to do a cooking class, but nobody would sign up for that. But if my wife, who if you don't know is an incredible cook, if she wanted to do a cooking class, you might... Like say, oh, so Lauren's going to offer a cooking class. And people might say, oh, that'd be amazing. I'd love to do that. I'd love to learn um, to cook. And so we go along and we all follow her step by step. And she does the things and then we do the things. And all the stuff is kind of measured off. All the ingredients have already been shopped for. They're at your table there and at your little station. And you watch how they're chopping it up. And if you mess something up, Lauren kind of floats around. And she, um, she helps you with it and kind of fixes it for you. And you're like, oh, okay, that was good. And then you put it all in there. And, and you, at the end, you have this meal and it's just really, really delicious. And you love it. And you think, man, I, I was great. I really love cooking. When are you going to have another class? We'd say, what, we just try to teach you how to cook. But in that, in that setting, we didn't teach you how to cook. Lauren didn't teach you how to cook. We just showed you, like just walked through it with you. And then you just ate some good food together. And then what happens is, in, in, in sometimes in this church culture, what I'm describing is we take that cooking class and we say like, oh man, I'm getting really hungry. I need to find another class, another cooking class. When are we going to have another cooking class? Because I haven't eaten in like three months. And we say, whoa, okay. And so then the staff goes, oh my gosh, everyone's malnourished. They haven't eaten in three months. Like we got to have another cooking class. Like Lauren, you got you to have another cooking class. And she's like, well, I'm tired of cooking classes. I don't care. Get in there. Like we got we to gotta teach them how to cook. They're not going to eat. Do you see the parallel? 
This pressure of like, oh gosh, like nobody, like they're not in the word and sharing the gospel. Okay, we gotta come up with another class, another training. We gotta get them into a room, like get them to do that. Like, oh great, this feels so good. Like, I love this. And like we leave and then go hungry, spiritually hungry for months. And then you're like, when are we gonna have another class? Like, that was so good. I ate so well. Listen, any ministry that we do should be to equip you to minister. Like, think of the, we have the quilting ministry. Some ladies get together and make quilts. But we don't have, they don't make quilts so that the staff have, pe- have quilts to go take to people when they go visit them in the hospital. Now, we, we do that, but they make quilts so that you can have a quilt to take when you go visit somebody in the hospital or you go and pray with someone who's hurting. Like that's why they make the quilts and the blankets. It's meant to equip you, to aid you, to help you as you go and do the work of the ministry. And so we want to do those kinds of things. They're meant to help us function as a healthy part of the body, not to make you dependent on us. And Paul says this is critical. He says, well, why? He answers the question of why in verse 14. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Listen, this is not in my notes. This is not clear, filtered J. So we're just going to see. One of the greatest griefs for me is to see people kind of sucked into a particular preacher or pastor and just kind of go full all in with some especially when they're distant somebody that's in you know wherever across the country across the world or whatever and just buy fully in to whatever they're preaching and it's not even whether they're like preaching the truth or not but you just get so dependent on them you're not listening to the spirit that is in you and You're not listening to your brothers and sisters around you in community who also have the Spirit in them. So a pastor from 3,000 miles away cannot convict you of sin. They could preach something that might be convicting, but that's not the same thing as being in the Word and feeling this conviction of the Holy Spirit and saying to your brother or sister that you're doing life with and saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you speak into my life here? Can you help me battle this sin? Can you help me understand this, this doctrine that is giving me grief and trouble? I, we've said before, I'm going to go out on a limb, you can find lots, lots of preachers who are better preachers than I am or than Jeff is, than Christoph is. I grouped them all together so we didn't have the awkward, or the awkward nodding, enthusiastic nodding after I just stopped at me. We've said this before though, right? And some of you even say that. Like, oh, you should listen to this sermon. This, like, after I preach a passage, you should listen to this guy preach it. He did really well. I'm like, great. So glad that he did so well. But here's the thing. I will tell you this unequivocally. You cannot listen to a podcast of any pastor anywhere who loves you more than we do. I guarantee it. Unless your dad's a pastor somewhere and, you know, whatever. That's fine. But I'm just, but we love you. We serve you with the word. 
And your brothers and sisters, though they may not be Bible scholars, they also love you and are submitted to the word. And so together, we can, with the Holy Spirit, discern. And we're not, not in our own minds. I'm like, no, no, that's right. That's why I don't listen to any preaching. And I don't listen. I don't do any Bible studies. I don't listen to anybody because I've got it all. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Saying together, the body of Christ, and we need to grow in maturity, which means knowing Christ and abiding in his word together so that we wouldn't be children tossed to and fro and carried about, so that we could be the city of the, on the hill that we were intended to be. That's our aim. That's what we want to do. That's what we see happening right now in our midst. And how do we know it's working? Well, he says, and the whole body is working together properly. It will grow and build itself up in love. Here's the picture. There in verses 15 and 16. The picture is essentially that when the body is working properly, when you know you're equipping the saints for the work of ministry, then, then it grows up naturally and starts bearing fruit. Like once you've planted a tree in good soil and taking care of it, it grows. You don't have to go out to the tree like every day and be like, grow fruit, grow fruit. Like it does it. It happens. And that's been some of the greatest joy here the last several months is to just hear all the stories from people of all, all this ministry that's just kind of spontaneously happening and people being like, oh, yeah, I mean, I just went over here and I started hanging out here and I saw people who needed help and I started sharing the gospel and now they've come with me this week and all this. And I think it's fantastic. Like that's what should happen when it's healthy. We start growing in the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm not going to go into it today, but you can go to Galatians 5, and Paul gives um, his, this famous list of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not exhaustive, but he's saying, look, bottom line, if the Spirit is in you, and you're growing the Spirit, then you'll bear the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about it, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's a good thing the kids are back there. They'd be yelling out other ones that I missed. You guys are just smiling and nodding along. That's great. Uh, and he says what well, it's not of the flesh. And he, and he says this in verse um, 25 in chapter, Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And he's saying that's the measurement. Is the body growing up in maturity and is the fruit of the Spirit happening? Not, um, not how many people are attending certain things. And it's, it's not that we don't ever look at numbers. It's not that they're not indicators. They're easy to measure, and we sometimes can, we, we fall in love with those. But they are, they are indicators. Numbers are just indicators. They're not fruit. Fruit is fruit. Right? If you think back to that cooking class analogy, which was amazing, I must say, um, if the work is to teach people how to cook, listen to this, then the fruit we're looking for is how many people go on cooking. Right? Like, more people might sign up for the class because often somebody will say, man, I really learned how to cook here. So I, I think if next time Lauren offers a class, you should definitely do that. But that's not what we're measuring. If they're not cooking for themselves, then the class isn't working. You might have more people signing up for the class because they're still never learning how to cook. It might be, maybe they're signing up because it's entertaining. Or, they, or they, might, they might be having fun. 
And they get to eat good food at the end of it. But they're not learning to cook. And often in ministry, we judge success by how many people showed up and if they liked it or not. And even if they benefited from it personally and say, well, I I benefited from that thing. But we don't measure it by that. We measure it by what happens afterwards. Right? We judge a discipleship lab that we might have, like we had last year and that I'm trying to schedule again for this year, not by whether um, people come to it, but whether they go on and are able to make disciples. We want to measure the church body by how it is building itself up in love. And so we want to function out of this identity. We are God's family and mission, that we are the body of Christ. We want to cultivate the good soil of the kingdom in our culture, knowing that that will bear fruit. We want to have methods that will, that will equip people to go and do the work of the ministry, to live that out. And the fruit of all of that will be the body building itself up in love, displaying the fruit of the Spirit. Let me give you, I just want to wrap up with a few examples of what that then looks like here, specifically. One is, I mean, you look at just how we do worship services on Sunday morning. We do not design this time to draw a crowd. We just don't. Our goal is not to, to keep people entertained or to be as efficient as possible I remember, I think I mentioned this before, but when I was planting a church in Denver, there was a church in a local area that would advertise um, on, uh, on the radio that they were the home of the 29-minute sermon. I could never work at that church. Um, the home of the 29-minute sermon. The whole thing was we will, and they would say, we will have you in and out in under an hour. And I was like, oh, Why? You're gathering together as God's family. Like, why in the world? Why are you in such a hurry? Like, and if that's what we're drawing, are people who want to get, like, in and out and get on with their day, well, like, that's not going to cultivate a very good culture of being a family, right? And so we don't, we don't aim it at that. We, we aim everything trying to cultivate this identity that we are God's family on mission. And so the way we do announcements are not super professional. It's just the family talking about the things that are, that are being done. And that are going on that we think the whole family needs to know about. Even our order of service, though, is like it's consistent and it's the same. And I know a lot of you grew up in that kind of uh, world where the, it was the same thing every week in a particular order of service. And I've had people say like, oh, man, it'd be like, I just feel like it'd keep people's interest better if we like switch things up. Like, well, that's not that's not my aim. And here's why. That what we're talking about with an order of service is uh, in the religious world is called a liturgy. And so there's liturgy communicates things about the gospel. And if you follow along, our, the way we communicate the gospel of creation, uh, rebellion, redemption, renewal, glory, you will see that in the order of service. It's a liturgy because we want, us, we want you that when you come here, you know what you're doing. Why? Because you are participants in it. You're not the audience. If you're the audience, we could change things up all the time and catch you off guard and yaha, now we're going to do it this way. And you'd be like, whoa, what's going on? But you're not. You're the choir. Like when we sing, you're the choir. 
So it'd be pretty weird to like have the choir come together and to sing songs that you don't know and you can't sing, right? Like you're, you're the choir, like the way that we sing, the way that we do everything, like it's meant to draw you in to say, no, I know this is where we're going to take communion together as a family. And so my heart is ready for that. We want to com- cultivate an environment where you are free to experience God and to minister to one another. And this is powerful. You see this all over our culture, the power of consistency, of knowing, ah, this is, this is what we do right now. This is when we sing out. This is when we walk forward. This is when we look at one another and encourage one another. This is when we greet one another. I had a lot of examples um, of that. You see it a lot in the sports culture where the whole thing is like they, they want to key people into like, this is what we're doing. Everyone's like, ah, yeah, I know what we're doing. I was going to sing the, the little guitar rift for the Packers before the Go Pack Go, um, but I'm not going to do that because I don't want anybody yelling out Go Pack Go, which would have definitely happened. And, but you hear it. Like those of you that are Packers fans, you know that, ri- you know that thing, and that, that's going to mean that 70,000 people are going to scream out Go Pack Go. I'm a big Iowa, University of Iowa football fan. And at the end of every quarter, the, the University of Iowa Children's Hospital is built to where it overlooks the stadium. The top few floors can overlook the stadium. And so the, all these kids, these kids who are in like intensive care and really serious health situations at the university hospital, they get to look over and watch the game. And at the end of the first quarter, every, every game at the end of the first quarter, all the fans turn around and they wave at, at the kids watching from the hospital. Right. Yes, exactly. That's how great Iowa is, all right? So, um, but it's so sweet, and it's so powerful, because everybody knows. Like, you can feel the anticipation as the quarter, the clock is winding down, and, and people are like, okay, and they're ready, and then when it stops, like, everyone, like, stands up, and they all go. It's this powerful moment, and that's the same thing that happens here every Sunday. You know every week you're going to come together, and you're going to come here, and you are going to sing songs. You're going to stand up, or maybe you're going to hear people sing around you. You're going to pray with them. You know you're going to come together, and you're going to take communion together. You know you're going to see your brother and sisters, you know you're going to hear the gospel proclaimed, and that should stir your soul and be a help and equipping for you as you are doing the work of the ministry all throughout the week. That's why we do it. Skipping past the rest of that, we'll move on to discipleship. The way we do discipleship. A lot of times when people are new, they say, well, do we have Bible studies that I can join? Think back to the programs. Yes, we do. We have people who are leading Bible studies. They're studying the Bible all the time. But if we, if we put all of our energy into starting studies, finding leaders to lead those studies, announcing it so that people sign up for those studies, and then they all do it, what happens? I'm not saying nothing good can come out of that, but I'm saying that does not produce a healthy environment where there's reproduction. It creates kind of that codependency thing that I was talking about. And so if you ask us, hey, I want to I study the Bible with other brothers and sisters, probably one of the first things I'm going to ask you is, awesome, do you have a Bible? And if you say no, like, let's get you one. I'm going to equip you by getting you a Bible. Do you know how to read the Bible? If your answer is no, I'm like, all right, let us help you. Like, let's meet together and I'll show you how to read the Bible or I'll connect you with somebody, let's introduce you, someone that will teach you how to read the Bible. Do you have the spirit? All right, if you do, but you don't know, yeah, but I don't know what that means. Like, okay, well, let's 
equip you. Let's teach you how to listen to him. Do you know other people that you could read the Bible with? If you say no, like, okay, well, let us help you then. That's, you know, area lunches and personal connections. Like, that's how we do that is to say, hey, just go around your brothers and sisters. Like, these are, you don't, you may not recognize them as your brothers and sisters yet, but they are. And they also love Jesus and they're trying to grow. And so they're. Because look, if, if the aim is to just grow in, in head knowledge or to have statistics to say that we have a lot of people, then, man, we'll pull out all the stops. We'll promote a bunch of amazing classes. We'll find some amazing people to lead them. But if the, if the goal is to get the body to where it is functioning properly, then it should look like older Christians saying to newer Christians or newer people, hey, how can I, how can I pray for you? How are you doing with all this, like in following Jesus? What, what's been going well? What are you struggling with? And maybe they might say, well, man, I've been struggling with reading the Bible. We talk about that a lot, but I read it and I just don't understand it. And because you see them as our identity, because you see them as family, you take responsibility for that. And you think, oh, hey, well, how about we get together? I can, I can help you with that. I understand it. Like, I, I mean, I understand what it's like to feel a little confused by it, but we can do that together. And then you might come to us and say, what do I do? And like, how do I do that? And we might give you encouragement, maybe give you a book of the Bible. Like, hey, why don't you read John together? Why don't you read Mark together? And we, we pray for you. And maybe then you and I, we check in with each other and we say like, okay, how did that go? And man, this went really well or this, this I struggled with. And then guess what? The next time you do that, you, you might need a little less help. And then eventually you're able to encourage that person that you discipled in that to disciple others. And then you're the person who's investing in them and saying, hey, let's talk about that, like how you're going to meet with that person. And you can lead them the way that you are led. And what's happening in that? Like it's almost like it's on autopilot. The body is functioning properly and building itself up in love. And any class or study that we do here should be equipping you to do that. The last one I want to talk about is always a fun one, but I can't skip it because it's just too much fun. And that is giving. How we handle giving and offering at this church. And we think about like, okay, what are we after? What's What's our aim? What is the actual work of the ministry? Are we just looking for enough money to meet our budget? Or do we want to grow up in maturity in Christ, which means that we have a culture of giving generously and sacrificially? Do you ever wonder why does Jesus talk so much about money? And the, the short answer, and we get to get in this in the Sermon on the Mount, don't worry, in case you were worried that we weren't going to talk enough about money at this church. Um, it's the easiest way to test faith. That's why Jesus talks about it so much. Like, it's not so Jesus could get rich. He was homeless. He didn't take any of the money. The early church didn't give money so that the apostles could become rich. Like, look at Paul. So why? But you would think that if a leader like Jesus is talking about money so much, we're like, oh, okay, I know where this is going. Like, you're trying to build up, you know, your, your kingdom here. And he's like, No. He's after it because he's after your heart. And he wants you to invest in a kingdom that is worthy. And we know that giving of money is a testament to what our heart values. 
And it demonstrates faith. It's a way for us to even test our own faith. And be like, okay, you say you believe. That's a way to do it. To trust that God provides. To believe that the investment in the kingdom is worth it. In Mark 12, Jesus tells, or um, story is written about Jesus. They sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to him, said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Notice, when he tells that story, when he says, says that about her, he doesn't stop her and say, no, 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 ma'am, I love your heart, but seriously, just please take your money back. We don't, we don't need it as much as you do. Why? Because Jesus like, took advantage of poor widows and like, milked every like, penny he could from them? No. The reason is because he knew the kingdom was worth it. What better place could you put that money in than in your faith in God? She is praised. And why is she praised? Because small things become big things in the kingdom. Jesus didn't care how much the person was giving. He cared about the faith that was being exercised. And so it doesn't matter what you have to give. It's the generosity that comes from being the child of our Father who is an extravagant giver and from knowing that an investment in the kingdom is one that will last for eternity. So that's why we're called to give. But then the question is, well, where do you give? And a big issue is that if you... This goes back to identity. If you see the church as just another organization that needs donations, then it makes no difference where you give. But if this is your family, then that changes things. Then it follows that you would give first here. I mean, think about it. If your child is hanging out with me at my house and my kid, like so your, your kid and my kid are friends and they're hanging out at our house and they're hungry and it's around lunchtime and I take them to Culver's and I, I buy them lunch. And then when you go to come to pick up your kid, you say, um, they say, oh yeah, he took us to Culver's. And you say, um, what would you say if you knew I bought your child lunch? Evidently you'd say nothing. That's what this, <laughs> don't have a polite culture here. No, you'd say, You'd say, like, oh, thank you. That was kind of you. Like, could I, could I give you some money for that? Like, that was, really, that was really generous that you bought lunch. And then if I said, well, it was awfully generous of me. You know what else? I also bought my own child lunch. <laughs> and you'd look at me like, well, of course you did. Well, yeah, but aren't, aren't I generous for buying my own child lunch? What? No. You're just like, you're a dad. That's what you do. That's, and if I'm like trying to respond to that and be like, well, no, no, you don't understand. I also fed him yesterday and last week a couple of times. Like that would be so weird. But listen, hey, I know it's awkward. Many of us have experiences where it feels like the church just cares about your money. But it, isn't it just like the enemy to make something that Jesus talked about a ton that was connected to our heart 
that he would make that very thing off limits in the church? To get into that situation where you're like, oh man, well, I, I've always felt that tension. I hate it because I don't want people to feel like that. But then I'm thinking like, okay, yeah, that's just like Satan to, to misdirect me and make me say, oh yeah, I'm not going to talk about the thing that Jesus talked about a lot. All I can do is tell you as straightforward as I can, I care about your hearts. And I care about what God has called us to do together. And so we don't fundraise here. We're not trying to drum up money to meet a budget. We believe that if, if we cultivate hearts of generosity, then God will provide all the resources we need to do the ministry that we're called to do. That's one of the reasons we don't pass the plate. So what that looks like in our methods is we don't pass a plate. We have offering boxes back at the, at the doors and where you, when you come in, if you want, and, and you can give online. Because our goal isn't to like shake anyone down. Or just to say like, hey, you know, just a few more bucks. We're not trying to fundraise here. This is for the family. I mean, just imagine, like, imagine, and, and if you're a guest, that we don't want that to be in front of you. And here's why. Imagine that if you come over to our house for dinner. You're a guest at our house. And during the dinner, I pass a plate around. And I say, hey, hey, don't mind this at all. This is like for, I just need to get some money from Lauren and the kids, you know, to pay for this. But, you know, don't you worry about it at all. I mean, well, if you really want to, like, you can't, you know, but don't, don't, I mean, like, how weird is that? How uncomfortable is that? We don't, we, we, we just like believe in our hearts of like, man, we want to just cultivate our church family. Like, if you are a member of this church family, then we say, man, give. This is your family. Joyfully, God will bless you in that. And we don't measure success with, with just numbers, though the right numbers, like I said, are indicators. Here's one. Here's one for you. Over the last several years, the per capita giving in our church family, so money per person, giving per person in our church, has increased nearly 50%. And it's gotten, gotten more and more consistent. So it's common in churches that it looks like this, the graph. Jeff Clossy loves graphs, and so he always gives us neat little graphs of lines. And the thing you notice is, like, this is what it looks like now. What does that communicate? That communicates that people who see this as their family are getting that, and it's part of their culture, and they say, we support our family generously and regularly, and it's beautiful. And we've been able to do all kinds of things with that. That's what we want. That's what we want to cultivate. And so it's been so encouraging to see that, that it's happening. So there you go. Those are some examples of how we function here and what we want to be about. We want to live out of an identity that has been given to us by God through Christ. We want to strive to cultivate a kingdom culture that will bear healthy fruit. And we want to work to equip the saints for the ministry of working in that garden, bearing the fruit of the Spirit so that it naturally grows and builds itself up together in love. I mean, this is happening. We have so many stories that I am like on pins and needles, like wanting to share, but knowing like we have to let them come to fruition. We have to respect all parties involved. But we have people who are taking responsibility for others as their family 
without, without us even knowing it comes to us later. We have people adopting kids as spiritual grandparents. We have people securing for others places to live, sometimes by finding it, sometimes for um, vouching for them on an application or giving a, a deposit. We have people finding, going out and sacrificing or putting their reputation online to get people jobs. We have people helping one another with, with childcare. We have people teaching one another how to read the Bible as they got to know them in a Sunday service and meet together. We have, like, it just makes me so excited to hear those stories, to have people um, serving and loving one another just naturally and just happening. And more and more people looking at it and realizing, like sharing, like I shared this story last week of baking, um, you know, cookies and everything and taking them around and visiting widows in their, in their homes and like, and praying with them and, and being able to say, that's the thing. As we pray with our teachers, like we've had so many interactions with our teachers in their classrooms as they are praying and crying out to God as they are in like, you know, I was thinking about this with recently, and there's a lot of reasons why this is popping into my head right now, and I apologize, but like I think about what's going on in the public schools, and I just hear so many negative things about the public schools, but do you realize we have saints in the public schools who are sacrificing and giving and loving students and families that the rest of us have no contact with? And all the while, they're hearing like how terrible it all is in there, but they're there. They're in the midst of it, and we're equipping them all along the way. And we have people that are in, like, as they battle through like the medical professions, and like I've said before, people on factory floors doing that, doing that work, or in neighborhoods, and all these different places, and it's beautiful. You are the saints. The ministry that God has given us to do is to be his people, to be salt and light in a lost and hurting world. And as you go building up one another in love, then we grow into maturity in Christ and we become the city on a hill and we become the ones proclaiming the good news of a king who forgives his rebels, adopts them as sons and daughters so they might find abundant life. That's who we want to be. That's who we are, and it's who we are becoming, and it is a joy to be a part of it with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time, and we praise you for all that you have done in our own hearts and our own lives. God, would you strengthen us, strengthen our faith, would you let us lay hold to all that you have in store for us? God, would you let us claim the abundant life that you have given us already? Lord, let us be who you've called us to be. Let us be your family on mission. Let us believe that the kingdom is worthy. It is a treasure in a field. Lord, let, our, let all of our actions reflect that. Let us be a church that genuinely equips the saints to do the work of the ministry. And Lord, it's just so exciting to hear these stories from people and saying, like, this is, this is great. Because your ministry, God, the work of the ministry is not a burden. It is an incredible joy to join with our Father in doing his work. Amen.